0: hey guys Montel here and thanks for joining in to this edition of let's be blunt with Montel and I'm so excited to have our guest on today I'm going to get to him in just a second but I wanted to start off a conversation by saying you know isn't it crazy how when we look back at this last election you know everybody's in an uproar about you know the top of the ticket But nobody's discussing what else went on during this election period. Five new states passed cannabis laws, folks. We're at a point right now where I believe it's that we're up to 34 states in the District of Columbia that have some form of cannabis legislation. That allows for people to have access to cannabis, either medically or uh, for adult use. And it's been allowed. We're growing it here in the United States. We are dispensing it here in the United States, but we still haven't figured out how to properly test and properly dispense the medication to universities, to corporations, to companies, to test, to allow them to do research, to see if we can move this forward in a way that makes sense. It's almost as if this battle against science is a battle that permeates every aspect of our society. And I think this is one of them that it shouldn't be permeating because, you know, uh, as we start to find out more and more, though, what we're finding out today is I think what we've known in the past, but as we're starting to amplify the research that's been done for the last 40 years, would it make sense to you that our government would say, you know what, let's start taking a look at what's being sold to people in different states and researching that and studying that and making sure that it's good and efficacious. Instead, they force companies that are trying to literally do research to skirt the legal edge, if they will, or to apply for cannabis that's been being grown at a place in the University of Mississippi for the last 60 years, which is really ridiculous because they've had the same Dumb, I think in some ways, growing techniques that they've been using down there for almost 60 years, they haven't improved those. And it's really interesting that our guest today is someone who jumped into the cannabis space, but jumped into it with a mission at hand. And his mission was to see if he could start one of the first biotech research companies to actually do really good, solid research on cannabis. Our guest today is a former U.S. Navy SEAL. I'm telling you, there you go. Former US Navy SEAL, graduated from Stanford University with an MBA, he's the founder and CEO of BioPharmaceuticals Research Company, which is based out of Monterey, California. BRC is a federally compliant specialty cannabis research company that holds several DEA Drug Enforcement Administration licenses that allow it to engage in legal cannabis activities federally. The BRC imports imported the first ever legal cannabis containing THC in the United States under a DEA permit from the European Union and from Latin America, and works closely with academic researchers and drug developers. Please welcome to Let's Be Blunt with Marcel, Mr. George Haja. Thank you so much, George, for being with us today, my friend.
1: Thank you, Montel. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: Absolutely. You know, I, I, I got to tell you, you are, you are one of the only people that I know that is literally in this space. And this is where you made your entree into cannabis, was it correct?
1: That's exactly right. So I started BRC about two and a half years ago, uh, mid-2017, after watching a, a fellow veteran, fellow special operations veteran, ask himself and ask his doctor many of the questions that have been featured on the show. How do I uh, think about drug-drug interactions? How do I dose cannabis? And after experiencing this firsthand with my friend, I realized there's an incredible need in this country uh, to, to engage in cannabis research, and that's why we dove in head first.
0: And what's crazy when you dove in, you didn't think you would meet some of the roadblocks that you met up with, did you?
1: I did not. Uh, it's shocking to me. And you mentioned uh, at the top of the show about this current election cycle. It's fascinating to me, and I think you'll appreciate this as a veteran yourself, that 92% of uh, veterans in this country want the U.S. federal government to research cannabis for their PTSD and their chronic pain. Uh, yet, some of our legislators and the uh, branches of the federal government simply don't seem to care or don't seem to listen. And so they continually put up roadblocks along the way. Uh, but that's not going to stop us. We believe in our mission and we'll either go around them, uh, blow them up, or, or go through them.
0: I mean, well, it's really absolutely ridiculous because the amount of ignorance behind this plan. I mean, we know. You know, that uh, the current legislation and, you know, um, unfortunately, we're going to talk a little bit about it later. But unfortunately, our president-elect that's now been certified as the president-elect has some misconceptions about cannabis. And about six months ago, he was he quoted as saying that he still believed that cannabis was a gateway drug. Duh! You know, come on, we need to wake him his ass up a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and and as we look at the way cannabis has rolled out, I mean, I think it, depending on what poll you Listen to, you know, the polls range from 72% up to 85% of the American public believes that people should be able to have a private conversation between them and their doctor. If their doctor recommends cannabis, then therefore it should be legal, especially from a medical standpoint. There may be some arguments out there, you know, range anywhere from, you know, 61% to 85% when it comes to adult use or what they term recreational use. But there is no question that the jury is not out anymore. The jury has come in and said, unequivocally, you take a look at what just happened in this election, they've come in and said, we want cannabis, especially medically in America. And especially since we know that, you know, so many countries around the world have now gone down the path of legalizing for medicinal purposes. It should be, you know, an additional tool or, you know, arrow in the quiver of a doctor. Just like all the, the, the arrows that they have in there that are spelled out through opioids, we should be able to allow a doctor who if we think is smart enough to be able to prescribe me some oxycodone, he should be able to prescribe me some cannabis if we think he's smart enough to do one or the other. But I like the fact that you've stepped into this trying your damnedest to do the research to actually justify why cannabis is an efficacious medical agent.
1: I, I appreciate that. And to your point on shouldn't a doctor be able to at least engage in an adult conversation between you, uh, between an individual patient and their cannabis use. It is shocking to me that that same doctor in that breath, uh, and that same breath where he's talking to you about, uh, opioid use said, Hey, Hey, look, I'm concerned about the long-term effects of cannabis use. So I don't want to talk about it, but I'd love to prescribe you some opioids or benzos. It just <laughs> does not make sense.
0: Yeah, it's really, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I, I, you know, will not want to belabor, but I, you know, I went through a, uh, a very serious illness with my child who uh, suffered from a former cancer that, you know, uh, I sat in the room and my child was in her mid-20s. So I'm the adult in the room with an adult who in the conversation between her and her doctor. But, you know, her doctor ended up talking to her about some of the medications that he was going to prescribe for her during her treatment protocol. And I was sitting in the room listening to this dude saying, well, I know this one's going to make your hair fall off and it may burn your skin off and it may burn the lining of your esophagus and you're basically going to be burned from the inside out. And I was like, you know, dude, I should smack you upside your head. And he said, excuse me, Mr. Williams. I mean, this is between me and your daughter. You know, she's the one who gets to make this decision. And I'm like, yeah, but, but okay. So what if I decide to suggest to her some cannabis now, all of a sudden he's got to be part of the conversation and everybody else decides to step into a conversation that's none of your business. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so let, let, let's, let's go way back for a second. You're a Navy SEAL, my friend of I me, mean, you know, and just like myself, you know, spent time in the military. I uh, know you were tested along the way, verifying that you were completely drug free, you know, and I guess you guys probably got hit, you know, every time you either deployed or came home. I understand compassion and empathy for your friend, but what made that empathy turn into, you know, advocacy?
1: For me, sitting in, as, as you may know, or some listeners listeners might know, navigating the the VA, the Veterans Affairs Hospital system in the United States is really challenging. So I got involved in the healthcare of this friend of mine, this teammate that needed help. He needed a hand. And watching what he went through from a personal level, uh, with respect to PTSD, falling victim to opioids, not being able to focus, which obviously has incredible negative implications for home life and spouse life. It just turned into this uh, self-fulfilling downward, downward spiral. And as I came to, to watch my friend go through this, he, and he said to his doctor, as I'm sitting there taking notes in the back, he says, Doc, he's an East Coast guy. He's a Naval Academy guy. He says, I'm going to try this medical marijuana thing. My head kind of poked up. That's not what I expected from, from a buddy of mine. And the doctor said, well, look, son, at the end of the day, it's not going to kill you, but I have no way to tell you. Uh, how to use it effectively from a clinical perspective. Uh, And this is in California, 2017. And so I'm hearing, I'm sitting there watching this, experiencing this, thinking, all right, I've served my country. That was everything in the SEAL team is all about your teammates and looking out for your buddy and you have their back. And here's my friend that needs help. And a doctor's telling him he can't help him because there's no research. And frankly, that just pissed me off. And I thought, this isn't right. You can get cannabis delivered uh, in San Francisco to your house in seven minutes through an app called Ease, Jeff Sessions says it's worse than heroin. And meanwhile, this doctor's telling me nobody's researching it. Give me a break. Someone has to do this. That's why I decided to jump right in.
0: And you must have realized when you jumped in that the contrary to even what Jeff Sessions says and everybody else has said, there's been research done on cannabis over the last 30, 40 years, a majority of which funded by the U.S. government overseas that has validated unequivocally the efficaciousness as of cannabis as a medicinal agent. I mean, look at the fact, I know you know that the, the U.S. government owns its own patent on CBD, which is 66035071B. They own that patent, and in that patent, in the abstract, it says 100% what it believes cannabis is efficacious for. So does that not drive you a little crazy, knowing that the government spent, you know, for a period of time in the, in the 90s, they were spending about $20, 30000000 million a year doing research in Israel and not allowing research to be done right here?
1: It drives me nuts as a red-blooded American that fought in Afghanistan and Southeast Asia for this country that we send people, veterans, which is near and dear to my heart, overseas, bring them back and say, hey, we're not going to invest in research that could help you, but we are going to offshore it. We should be creating American jobs, American taxes. The America that I fought for should be leading the way in cannabis research. There's so many implications. If it's for children with epilepsy, folks with MS, people with cancer pain, America should be leading that charge because we have such a a vibrant cannabis economy already. And that drives me absolutely uh, nuts. It also drives me nuts that the the Catch-22, which I'm sure we'll get into, to move cannabis out of Schedule 1, which will open up this research process and this medical process, the Drug Enforcement Administration says, hey, you have to have demonstrated medical use with appropriate clinical trials and scientific data. And then they say, oh, by the way, We're not going to let anybody produce cannabis to generate scientific data within the U.S. That drives me absolutely up the wall. Stay with us. We'll be right back. the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step by step every single week.
0: And, yeah, and I think that's a, a I I you know I'm jury within my brain. i got I got you know brain cells that are fighting with each other every day about this. You know, whether or not this should be you shifted from schedule one to schedule two, or maybe it should come off the schedule completely. You know, this is a drug that's been around for well over 2,500 years, documented for over 2,500 years. This is something that has been utilized by our own government since the existence of America. I mean, you know, if we, we go back and do a little research, people would understand is that, you know, hemp and cannabis was, you know, utilized, was probably one of the, the plants that actually helped build America. You know, the entire, you know, revolutionary army was clothed in hemp fibers, The every sail, every rope um, that was used by the U.S. Navy was made of hemp fiber. All of our forefathers grew hemp, and some of that hemp was higher than 0.03% THC. And some of our forefathers are known very well for having so smoked and consumed cannabis. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, they 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 did a test on his pipe that was in the Smithsonian Institute for 20 years, and and realized that that pipe contained hemp. They called it hemp. It was cannabis. And, you know, Benjamin was sitting around going, hmm, what's up? So, I mean, if it was good enough for our forefathers, why can't it be good enough for our, the least of us that have done the most for us to protect this democracy? I mean, I'm I'm with you. You know, I know, which seems, again, one of these contradictory, hypocritical things the government can say, well, if you are a veteran living in a state with a medical marijuana program and you have a doctor that wrote your recommendation, you can utilize it there. And we won't hold it against you. But if you're in a state that doesn't have one, we'll hold it. Against. This is so stupid.
1: It's so stupid. And with all the problems we have going on around the world or the country today, in, in the country today, this really the hill people want to die on. Uh, I mean, the fact that When I started this and started to explain to family and friends what we were doing, they'd say, wait a minute, you got to be kidding me. What do you mean you're not really researching cannabis? So I thought it was legal. What do you mean the the federal government's not getting behind this? And I think when people hear uh, that 200, as you alluded to, around 200 million American consumers can access cannabis from a state dispensary unless they're a doctor or a scientist or a biotech drug developer, because they're regulated by federal law. And federal law hasn't changed since 1961 on cannabis uh despite all the technology that's come out despite all the evidence that you mentioned around the the therapeutic uses of this and i think you just sort of add it to the list of things going on in the federal government that aren't making sense right now
0: right so let's let's talk a little bit so you started your business you opened it up you thought okay i'm going to get in here and i'm going to be able to go to a local dispensary buy some cannabis and i'll have my guys do some research on that but you found out very quickly you couldn't do that right
1: that's exactly right so any organization in the u.s that's regulated by the federal government, be it a pharmaceutical company, a pharmacy, a university doing research, uh, a nonprofit research group, they are all regulated by the federal government. So irrespective of whether or not your state has legal cannabis laws, those are totally irrelevant. It doesn't matter. You have to follow the Controlled Substance Act, which means you can't go to a dispensary and buy cannabis. You can't engage uh, in studying the products people are using. You have to get your cannabis from a DEA licensed uh, federal source of which there's only been one for about 60 years. So you could be in California, there's the dispensary five blocks away from the, the, I'm sitting at my desk right now, there's a dispensary about six blocks away that has great products that are helping a lot of people. For me to get cannabis to research, we had to fly it in from the European Union uh, under a DEA permit. That's the extent of this problem and it is so stupid.
0: And talk a little bit about the fact that there is some in the United States at the University of Mississippi I've had the canisters that the, they have sent out, but that's probably some of the poorest, worst grown cannabis in the world.
1: It, it's been reported, and I, I can't speak for this, but it has been reported that it's unsafe and unclean. And so some researchers don't even want to engage in the research uh, around developing the products. I would say, look, in what industry in the US has the government allowed a monopoly for 65 years? When has that been good for anybody? And not just business. We're talking about patients and researchers that need to be advocating uh, and accessing cannabis. So right now you want cannabis in the U.S. and you're a researcher, you either get it from the University of Mississippi uh, or you end up importing it under a DEA under a DEA permit. I mean, the, the cannabis, I've seen pictures of the stuff that people use in Mississippi, and it looks like what the punk kid in your sixth grade class sold you as oregano you know, behind the dumpster. It has nothing to do with what people are using today uh, uh, sort of in the markets.
0: And, and you, know, you know, I mean, Mel, Mel, let's, so what was that process of going through the DEA to get them to allow you to, first off, uh, talk a little bit about, uh, you don't have to give up a lot of your trade secrets, but talk a little bit about, uh, you founded a company, you said, I want to do XYZ. So then you reached out first and said, let me get some cannabis from Mississippi. And what happened?
1: I would rather uh, go through months of hell week as a Navy SEAL trainee than have to go through this process again. Uh, it was incredibly exhaustive and complex to work within the DEA system to have uh, access and licensure to deal with the Controlled Substance Act Schedule 1, Schedule 2 drugs. That being said, that's what we're doing because that's the right way to do it in the federal government's eyes. So we are we play by the rules and we're quite happy to. Um, what it, what you have to do is you build a, a compliant facility or effectively a, a warehouse or production facility that is really, really high security. So we have biometric access. I mean, literal thumbprints. You'd think this is Fort Knox with gold here. Uh, thumbprints to get in every door, 24-7 security. Uh, and once you have that infrastructure and the team uh, that has the compliance expertise to navigate the federal bureaucracy, at that point, the DEA will allow you to apply for import permits, licensure, uh, et cetera. But it's just hilarious. I mean, it's, it's it's shocking to me that here we are, we have cannabis stored in a you know, a several ton bank vault. that has been licensed by the DEA. There's trip wires and security cameras. And you can drive down the street five blocks down the road and there's just cannabis everywhere. But that's the level of bureaucracy and hoops you have to jump through to do the research, hopefully, that helps people in the long term, because that is the research we think that the government uh, is going to respect when it comes to, to making scheduling decisions, et cetera.
0: And so they, 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 they made you fill out paperwork, file for, you know, an opportunity to get the cannabis from Mississippi. You got that. Did you get some of that first or did you skip that? We
1: tried. Uh, and all the products we needed that are relatively reflective of what uh, medical patients are saying is helpful. You know, meaning something that has more than call it like a 7 percent THC. We wanted a 15 percent THC or a 20 percent THC or an ingestible if it's an edible. We went through the process and after months, uh, they came back to us and said, Hey, by the way, we, you know, it's in our catalog that we have that, but we don't actually even stock it anymore. So you're shit out of luck. So we went elsewhere and went outside the United States to
0: find it. And uh, that, I find that even just, I'm I'm baffled by this because, you know, rather than let's say, okay, I get you can't go to a licensed dispensary, a state licensed dispensary, but you could, why not be able to go to a grower? here in the United States and say, instead of me shipping something in from Europe, why can't I just ship something down from Humboldt County?
1: Exactly. They, so the, the growers in Humboldt County are considered outside the federal system. So while the feds aren't necessarily going to bust them because they're, you know, they're licensed by the state, presumably, uh, they just don't even recognize them. If I said to, you know, to our DEA folks, hey, we're going to go get some cannabis from a state licensed grower in Humboldt County, would not compute. No, you can't do that. They're not within our system. And that uh, the conflict between state and federal law is unfortunately coming uh, at the harm of all the patients out there that could be helped. Um, and I think a lot of advocacy, you, you mentioned uh, President-elect Biden and you know somebody needs to change his mind. In my opinion, uh, cannabis research is sort of the last bastion to fall before, uh, before helping people change their minds. And I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, you could ask most politicians or, or frankly, conservative politicians say, hey, what's your opinion on cannabis? They didn't really have to have one. They could kind of just ignore it and kick the can. They can't do that anymore because, of, you know, like you said, 34 states are engaged some way in cannabis. Now, the fallback position is, hey, let's just do the research. I don't have to have an opinion yet. I want to I want to see the research. And so if you take that away, you say, perfect, here's the research. Here's how it helps people. There's no leg to stand on. Then you can actually develop medicines in a meaningful way that help people. So that's why we're excited about what's going on uh, here.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I, but, I, but I guess, how do they certify a grower in Europe or a grower in South America or Central America? I, does the DEA go over and visit a grower over there?
1: They don't. So they rely on the exporting country to ensure that the, the local grower or producer is compliant. So they don't care if it's in colombia israel australia so long as that person that grower in whatever country uh is operating legally and has an export permit from their version of the dea then the dea will allow you to import it um it's it's an exhaustive administrative burden and paperwork drill to do uh but it's not something it this is it's the same framework through which they move other controlled substances or drugs around around the world uh it just is so silly that they're applying this to cannabis
0: flash big flash big flash for all of you who have been listening i know you don't get to see this but for those who are viewing guess what we recorded this podcast a few weeks ago and then since that recording an amazing update happened so i had to get george to come back to give the update live right in the middle of the show and then we'll continue the show so again george hodgman thank you so much for being here sir
1: montel it's my pleasure thanks for having me on for this exciting exciting update
0: Yes, sir. And we were just kicking the butt of the you know, DEA and those for forcing you guys to use University of Mississippi cannabis and other cannabis from outside the United States. But a new ruling just happened. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at this article that you sent me and the new article uh, headline is DEA widens path for medical marijuana research. Why don't you tell us what that's about?
1: That's right, Montel. In mid-December, finally, after a long-awaited period, about four years actually, the Drug Enforcement Administration opened up the path to produce federally legal cannabis for medical research in the United States. So I think the ether or maybe the DEA even was listening to us uh, decry their actions. Hopefully they weren't listening to us, uh, but decry their actions and uh, the universe responded. And this is, in my opinion, a monumental breakthrough for patients and researchers around the world.
0: I think it may have had a little bit to do with the fact, and I think, I don't know which one of them did it, either President-elect Biden or President-elect or Vice President-elect uh, Harris uh, said something right before this announcement came out about the fact that they were going to expand the opportunities for research and really, again, go with the science. Because, you know, I've been beating them over the head saying, you know, this is kind of crazy for this new administration to claim that they're all about science and then not be able to provide the opportunity to do the real science. And That's, now, all of a sudden, the DEA has decided that they are going to let you do real science. So that what this really means is that you can go to any dispensary and pick up a product there, bring it back, and do testing on it. Right?
1: Not, not exactly. Uh, what this means is what this means is that the DEA, historically, as we've been discussing, has only allowed one group, the University of Mississippi, to provide cannabis for research. Uh, to universities, hospitals, doctors, our nation's best and brightest scientists. The D- and that, that has existed for uh, damn near 60 years. Right. Um, what the DEA has done is created a pathway, a ruling, a policy that allows other institutions, be it private companies, universities, biotech companies, to go through the DEA licensure process uh, to get a a sheet of paper, effectively, a registration, a license to produce cannabis just like the University of Mississippi. So while the researchers themselves can't uh, go to a dispensary, they will be able to access products that are uh, analogous or similar in profile to what we're seeing patients use uh, effectively uh, around the world. I think this is a... Big victory, um, a big victory and a big hats off to advocates like yourself uh, who have been have been screaming and fighting and kicking and screaming um, for years. And I think it goes to show that um, that the drumbeat of change in advocacy is not fast. But if you're persistent like you and the rest of the listeners and viewers have been, um, if you make enough noise, good, you know, good trouble, then people will listen. And and this is a hats off to those advocates.
0: So now your company, which is a biopharmaceutical research company, which is based out of Monterey, California, BRC, you are already federally compliant, um, you know, to actually do research on cannabis. So now will your company be able to grow different phenotypes and then research those?
1: That's exactly right. So we uh, believe that in very short order, we'll get that permit, that license I was describing to not only produce cannabis products uh, for ourselves, for our own research, but to uh, distribute them to other researchers around the country. For example, if there's a researcher at XYZ University and perhaps they don't want to produce their own medicines, you know, they're, they're, a, they're a specialist in epilepsy or MS they might not want to cultivate their own cannabis or, or create their own products. They can come to us and get it legally through the federal system uh, to do with which they can do their own, their own research. So, I, and thank you to everybody.
0: Huge, my friend. Well, thank you so much for all that you do. And thanks for coming back to give the update. I want everybody at home to know that again, finally, finally make enough noise. People will listen. And then I think we got to keep now making more noise, right?
1: Could not agree more. This is the the first inning, the sort of first domino to fall. All the patients and doctors that have been uh, for decades uh, asking for research, asking for medicalization of cannabis. This is the first step Uh, and there is so much left to do. The fight is just uh, is really just heating up. But now no longer can a legislator or a policymaker say, hey, I'm stiff farming the cannabis world because I want to see the research. Guess what? Now we're going to show you the research. Um, and, and I also believe, Montel, that this is uh, monumental and groundbreaking for an additional reason. And that is, I personally think that this is uh, the, the key piece that allows cannabis to potentially, down the road, break out of that Schedule 1 Catch-22. As, as we've talked, and, and, and I'm sure you know all about that
0: And at least at least now we will start to have researchers who are researching because they're looking for the efficaciousness of the plant rather than looking to satisfy those who claim that there is no efficaciousness of a plant. So it's I know it sounds subtle to all of you that are listening, but you've got to understand that the majority of research has been done to date has been done done in a way that they are already predetermining an outcome and trying to do research to live up to or down to that outcome, meaning let's prove to the world that cannabis doesn't work. Now we have cannabis that we can say we want to take a look at it and see if it does work. I mean, recently, you know, there was an article that came out talking about the fact that, you know, there's chemicals in the smoke of cannabis that seem to be synonymous, synonymous, or similar to uh, smoke from cigarettes. But we also know that 20 years ago, there was research done that proved that that's not true. So now we can finally have the truth be told. Wow. I'm so excited about this. Yeah. I can't, I can't uh, control myself.
1: (laughs) It's one of those instances where you go, all right, people have been fighting this for so long and there's so much left to do. But I, in my opinion, myself and the rest of the cannabis advocacy groups and organizations in the cannabis industry really need to pat themselves on the back and enjoy the small victories. Because if you can't enjoy the path, uh, then, then it's a long road to haul. And if you've been fighting for cannabis advocacy for so long and so many people have um, you get knocked down so often uh, and, and lives are on the line here. And this is one of those small victories. You have to celebrate and recognize the wins uh, and the monumental moments along the way. And I think we'll look back historically and say, this really was a great win for advocates uh, and cannabis folks alike. So thank you to all the folks out there who keep fighting.
0: And thank you so much, George, for what you guys are doing. And now make sure you go back to listen to the rest of the podcast. Like I said, Flash, this is breaking news. So I wanna make sure we inserted it right here uh, where fit. And so thank you so much, George, for being coming back to update us and going back to listen to the rest of this podcast with George Hauser. And then now, so you've gotten in some some uh, some cannabis from outside of the country, and what kind of research are you embarking on right now with it?
1: So what we're doing now is uh, preclinical basic science to understand exactly how the chemistry and biology of the cannabis plant works, and different varietals, and, and strains, genotypes, how they, ex- how they affect uh, phenotype expression. In other words, you might have this varietal that's OG Kush or what? It, pick a varietal, um, what actually are the chemicals that support that? What's the genotype of the, uh, or the chemicals that are derived from the genotype that supports that? So a lot of the basic science that you would see have, having been done with strawberries or apples or any other plant that you can create a medicine out of, uh, a lot of that basic science just hasn't been done because researchers haven't had access to cannabis. Uh, so it's pretty foundational stuff just in terms of understanding the plant right now. The goal is to move that understanding that we get from the plant, move that into the clinic, meaning working with doctors and and drug developers and partners to see exactly how this helps people with certain types of indications, how it helps people with cancer, how it helps people with PTSD. Um, That's the long-term goal. That's where we're going. But we need this final permit from the DEA to be able to do it.
0: And I don't mean, I'm I'm not uh, second guessing, you, but some of that research I know for a fact was already done. 2010, I was sitting in Dr. Michulov's laboratory in Israel, and literally sat down and spoke to him. Uh, uh, though he did, wasn't talking, you know, out loud about the endocannabinoid system, he had already discovered that and knew that it existed, and recognized, you know, some of the components of the cannabinoids that were had been identified at that point in time. I think maybe it was 67, 68 had been identified. Now we know there's well over 166. You know, some of this research that you're saying has already been done, but now you have to do it again just to satisfy the basic requirement for the DEA?
1: Some of it we have to do again. Uh, others, we think some of the, the science you're alluding to has just kind of scratched the surface. I mean, in 10 years, the number of cannabinoids that are known has doubled. What else don't we know? How do terpenes uh, play a part in, in the entourage effect? So we just think that we're really at the first or second inning of understanding the basic chemistry and basic biology, so we're leveraging a lot of the stuff that's already been published overseas, or frankly, from some U.S. researchers using the the Mississippi products. But it's it's definitely early days, and there is a lot of uh, repetition that goes on, just because most of the stuff, unfortunately, hasn't done hasn't been done in the U.S.
0: Well, look, George, I me i got to do something. I'm going to take a little break for a second, just to pay some bills, and I want to come back and talk a little bit more about you know what you think. Um, you know how I, I i'm sitting here as i'm listening to you i'm thinking man I, I, you and i need to go sit down in, in biden's office and say dude listen to me for a second um but you know and it may take a navy seal and a former intelligence officer to do this to get them to actually stop for a second and wake up but um let me take a little break pay some bills come right back and we'll finish the conversation okay sounds good thank you sure okay you've been listening to let's be blocked with my time our guest today is mr george imagine who is the founder of Biopharmaceutical Research Company, uh, which is based out of Monterey, California, which is a company that is federally compliant cannabis research company that holds several DEA uh, Drug Enforcement Administration licenses that allow to engage in legal cannabis activities federally. We'll take a little break. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Let's Be Blunt with Mattel, and our guest today is a former Navy SEAL who graduated from Stanford University with an MBA. He's the founder and CEO of the Biopharmaceutical Corporation, or Biopharmaceutical Research Corporation, BRC, which is based out of Monterey, excuse me, Monterey California. He's a BRC is a federally compliant specialty cannabis research company that holds several DEA. Drug Enforcement Administration licenses that allow it to engage in legal cannabis activities federally. It even gives him the opportunity to be one of the first, or he is the first, to ever legally you know, uh, uh, import cannabis containing THC from outside of the United States into the United States for research. Thank you so much, Mr. George Hodgen, for being a part of the show today, sir.
1: Thank you very much, Montel. It's my pleasure to be with you.
0: There's been several researchers out here and doctors out here. Like One is the Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, who just wrote. I don't know if you've seen this book here. I have. I've I mean, I, I, I been promoting this book recently. It's a it's a book called Cannabis is Medicine by Bonnie Goldstein, who's an MD. She was a, um, a, a specialized in pediatric medicine Um She's written a pretty extensive book. And, you know, when you go back to her bibliography page, When I was talking about, you know, in her index, I mean, she's got research from thousands of published peer reviewed published documents talking about some of the research that's been done, you know, beforehand. Um, So the information is out there if people wanted to get it. How do we move this forward way quicker than this, the way the DEA is dragging its feet right now?
1: Well, I'll take you up on the offer to go meet with uh, with President-elect Biden. I think that could be one way to do it. And the reason I say that and actually mean it, uh, and it's not in jest, is I think what you're doing on the show, what we're doing, advocacy and education, is one way to do it. Because uh, so many folks from older generations have seen the cannabis plant demonized, and until they have a personal experience, like myself included, with my friend that I mentioned, until they have a personal experience. Uh, with a friend or a loved one that's helped by cannabis, it's always just sort of uh off their radar. And I think more and more what we're seeing now is people sharing their stories and coming forward and saying how how cannabis has helped them. And I think that's the most important thing to change is, is people's attitudes. From a, a drug policy perspective, the one thing that needs to change immediately is that the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, needs to make good on its four-year-old promise uh, to license more companies to produce cannabis than just the university of Mississippi. That's it in a nutshell.
0: Well, yeah, you know, I guess the DA started this process back in 2016, a program to open up licensure for, you know, small businesses, but you're right. They have not really moved that ball forward at all, especially since the last four years we've been mired in a, you know, um, a surreal world that doesn't believe in research.
1: Exactly. That's exactly right. I think, uh, Every politician or doctor or researcher that I speak with or just friend or family is absolutely shocked and floored to find out that doctors in the United States and scientists in the U.S. can't access compliant cannabis for research that meets their needs. It just blows their mind. Uh, and It's not an easy or it's not a hard fix, really. It doesn't require a new law. You know, Congress doesn't like to pass laws anymore, seemingly, but it's not a new law. It doesn't take any money from the federal government. It's effectively just a permit that already exists for every other drug, every other controlled substance except cannabis. Uh, and so I think what, what we're seeing is sort of the legacy Jeff Sessions ideological, ideological hatred of cannabis that per- has permeated just the, the federal bureaucracies. Luckily, it's moving away, and we think that the DEA is going to move forward quickly, but I think it's just that sort of Jeff Sessions, Jeff Sessions residual effect is what we're dealing with now.
0: And I think in his case, it's it's more about the fact that he feels like it, it makes him give up a, an enslavement tool. I mean, you know, this has been a tool that's been used against communities of color for the last 80 years to make sure that you could throw somebody in jail and have a little extra little kicker on the top if you needed to. And so I think some for some of these people, they just are so upset that you're taking a tool out of their pocket that was giving them the opportunity to indiscriminately arrest anybody Brown that they wanted to arrest. I think that's really what's going on until people start talking about it that way. You know, I don't think we're going to make much headway. I mean, I think when you said something about the older generation, you know, I'm one of those older generation people, but I think when you look at legislators, they're a lot around my age and these are the guys who are stepping up to the plate and saying, you know, I remember that kid who was sitting under the bleacher who's now ran uh, you know, a Fortune 500 company and did pretty well for himself. So maybe that little bit of pot that he smoked wasn't that bad. So attitudes are changing among the populace and the population. But for some reason, we are just stuck on stupid when it comes to understanding that we've got an efficacious product here that's no different than in a sense that I, I'm not trying to 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 make it Seem as if it's less harmful, but you know, I mean, I look at cannabis as a nutraceutical. Not a <laughs> personally, I think you know, I think that's the way the DEA ought to look at it. There are some components. I mean, we know for a fact that there has never been a death associated with overdosing THC. Never, never in recorded history of mankind. Of mankind. You know what I mean? So it's not like this is something in the last 30, 40 years. This is since the dawn of man. There's never been a human being that has, that we know of that has overdosed from too much THC. You're probably going to sleep and you'll sleep longer than you ever thought you could. But, you know, your body has the ability to process it, clear it out, get it out of the liver and dispel it. So with your research, what, what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on trying to, I, I understand what you're saying about doing the basic research, but do you de- eventually want to be able to develop out some pharmaceuticals yourself, or what, what are you looking to do?
1: Absolutely. So the, what we're targeting initially is veterans with PTSD. We're partnered with several researchers at academic uh, institutions around the country that are saying my God, we have to study this. It looks like veterans with PTSD and chronic pain would really benefit from cannabis, but we can't get our hands on it to study. So those are the people we're setting up to serve, to provide them cannabis drugs and study material so that they can go in, do FDA-approved clinical trial work through their universities uh, to demonstrate that with a particular dosage of cannabis delivered in a particular form, you can treat and make claims on a particular indication. That's largely the pharmaceutical route. I think you alluded to the nutraceutical route, which I think there's absolutely a place for it. It's sort of two separate things. You know, if you want your doctor to pay for it and have it prescribed and treat uh, treat a condition and make a claim on it, um, and that's one route. The other route is uh, is to use is to treat it as a botanically derived medicine, like a nutraceutical that isn't as regulated by the FDA. And I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think you can help uh, tons of people in both tons of people in both different ways we just happen to be focused on the pharmaceutical route because right now that's what the DEA requires
0: you know I think it's going to be that's where I think we may end up hitting not roadblocks but it's going to be tough because as we recognize the fact that everybody's individual end up system works slightly differently we recognize that you know dosing may end up becoming an issue where you know for the individual based on body weight, based on, you know, metabolism, based on what you've digested earlier, if in fact this is digestible, we may find out that people respond differently. We may get a framework, I think, to be able to understand the levels of, you know, individual cannabinoid components that you might want to have in percentages and looking at it from an entourage. But I think that it's going to be quite a while before science, or it's going to be quite a long, quite a lot of people, before you can literally effectively kind of choose a dose that may work better for that person over that person, because you know, again, each individual responds to, you know, their endocannabinoid system, and the way you produce anandamide inside your own body will basically tailor the way you respond to. The external cannabinoids, I think, I mean, this is just me thinking off the top of my head after all the reading that I've been doing, but it's, it's been kind of tough for, you know, even in the world where we recognize that cannabinoids do work for folks and some children who have epilepsy, you know, everybody's jumped on this big CBD craze. But now we have some science and doctors who are recognizing, hey, you know, it's not just the CBD that's been helping some of these children to have epilepsy. It's the THC. And oh, by the way, it's not just the THC. It's the THCA. And oh, by the way, it's the CBDV. And oh, by the way, it's the, you know, uh, 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 the terpenes. You know, so, you know, it's going to take us a while to get down this path, I think. So are you investigating each one of those things, breaking it all out?
1: I I very much agree with what you just said in terms of how sort of early days uh, the science is. And to your original question, sort of where do we see this going? Frankly, we're pretty agnostic. We're we're focused on veterans with PTSD. We think about the chronic pain, but there's so much to be done to understand the cannabis plant and how it works for uh, all sorts of different people. So what we are doing in our model is to partner with research institutions, supply them with the cannabis, supply them with the drug materials so that they can answer a lot of the questions uh, that you just posed, you know, how does this, is it just CBD helping kids with epilepsy there? You know, is it the THCA? Who knows? But there's so many experts in the U S, uh, on effectively every type of, of, uh, of sickness or illness, but until they have a way to access cannabis, that's really well characterized and really understood and is legal under the federal regime, they're all going to be sort of sitting out watching in the cold relying on, uh, countries around the world doing this research, or there's it's just going to be sort of experimenting, observational experimenting, like you just described. I, I think to myself every day, how many people could be helped if every university uh, in the United States could, could be focused on cannabis research, but they can't right now, unfortunately.
0: And I, what I would do is I suggest that if you you got every university to focus in on it. You take break the plant up, give every university one little piece. Give one university one cannabinoid, another, another cannabinoid, give another one a flavonoid, give another one a terpene, give another one this, that, and the other. And then take a look at how they work separately. Then you have to start putting them together and putting them together very slowly because uh, I guess recently in the last two weeks there's been a peer-reviewed uh, document that just came out. Study came out about flavonoids as a uh, you know, um, not an antioxidant, but as an anti-inflammatory and they've noticed anti-inflammatory response in flavonoids is in some ways, ways can be 30 to 40 times higher than, you know, what we see in aspirin. So that means that works by itself as an anti-inflammatory. But then if you add a little bit of CBD or CBG to it, would that enhance that flavonoid? And would it be almost too much anti-inflammatory. I don't believe that you could have too much anti-inflammatory information. But, you know, I mean, so, yeah, there's going to be a lot to be done. Um, what's What do you see, uh, what do you think this next administration is going to do for research?
1: I am, I take the vice president-elect and the president uh, at their word. I have no reason not to. And I think they're going to make good on their promise uh, to really advance cannabis reform, both from a social justice social equity uh, perspective, which is incredibly important in this, decriminalizing and expunging past cannabis convictions at the federal level is absolute table stakes for what needs to happen. You know, 30 years ago, if you were a cannabis dealer, you are now a felon. Now you're a rich guy on Wall Street. Uh, So I think they're going to make good on their social equity promises by decriminalizing. And I think that they'll make good on their promises to uh, enable more research and invest in research so that America is leading the way uh, with respect to cannabis. And frankly, I expect them to hold the the DEA's feet to the fire and ensure that they roll out this program really effectively uh, because it's good for everybody. So I, I think they're going to do it.
0: And has your your company had any breakthroughs recently, or any breakthroughs so far with what you're doing research-wise? We've uh,
1: we recently announced a partnership with University of California Davis, one of the leading plant science programs uh, in the world. And we're really excited about that. We're really proud and happy to announce that research partnership. The plant scientists, earlier I mentioned uh, sort of agricultural uh, know-how and best practice that we have for most other crops uh, in the country. Uh, The scientists we're partnered with at Davis are starting to look at the genetic makeup of cannabis and how uh, the genotype and the genes are expressing exactly what's going on in the plant. What makes a plant through high CBD, what makes it drought resistant? What makes it uh, produce these terpenes? And so they're really focused on that and we're really proud to be uh, in partnership with them.
0: You know, I just recently uh, interviewed a Dr. Sally McKenzie. You wanna write that name down, Dr. Sally McKenzie, who's a professor of plant science at the College of Agricultural Science and a professor of biology in the Elberly College of Science at Penn State. And she's one of the leading uh, epigenetic breeding researchers in the country right now might be somebody you might want to talk to. I had a really great uh, interview with her on uh, my other podcast, which is called free thinking about the science of GMO and other things and what they've been doing to make, you know, um, plants express themselves uh, not just by doing genetically modified things, but actually, you know, epigenetically changing within the plant itself and making it respond a little better. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I, that's the first person I've heard of that's doing that kind of research for plants. And she's not doing it for cannabis. This is just for food and for, you know, trees. And so I think that, that, that I asked her if, if you know, if um, her science would, would um, cross over when it came to cannabis. And she said like she'd be pretty excited to work in that area.
1: Well, we'll have to get a hold of her and get her into this cannabis realm because it sounds like, everybody could benefit from the good work
0: she's doing. Absolutely. Cause I, I mean, I, I have, I've been very, very, very interested in looking at the plant differently. I think than a lot of people, you know, I've been involved in this now for 20 years, not just the last three or four years or five years, but I, I got, got involved in advocacy for cannabis back in 2000. And, you know, one of the things that I, I noted is, and I've been noting as I do you know, my little basic research by reading as much as I possibly can, You know, I think that, you know, epigenetics would be a really good way to start to clearly define the phenotypes in a way so that I can maybe grow a plant, especially if I'm looking to grow a plant that's maybe a little bit more rich in CBD and a little bit uh, have more CBG and then express certain terpenes in that particular strain, I might be able to grow a plant that has that. And then I can grow another plant that has, it expresses itself in a different way than combine those two together coming up with more efficacious medication that's what i think uh, you know I'm, I'm really excited about
1: that, that's fascinating and that i think is the sort of next iteration of this basic plant research uh that i was describing exactly what what you said uh, i think is sort of where the industry and where the scientists uh are headed because that's how you help farmers and cultivators and growers help the most people uh get their medicine so i think that's that's fascinating. I'm excited to watch it.
0: Yeah, and these are techniques that have been being used now for 20 and 30 years in the other, you know, horticultural industry. So there's no reason why it shouldn't be applied to, you know, what we're doing. And I, and I um, you know, it, now you get no resistance from a state level, do you?
1: We, we don't, we're met largely with just uh, sort of curiosity and dumbfoundedness. I would say when we first met with state regulators in California, they said, oh, wow, we didn't even know that there was a way to produce controlled substances under federal permit. And, you know, my response was like, well, you know, if, if a med school gets cocaine or heroin to, te- to, to teach their scientists and their medical doctors in med school, where do you think they get those controlled substances? They're not buying them from sort of the street-level drug dealer, if you will. Companies make illegal drugs federally all the time for research purposes. It's just never really been done uh, well For cannabis, and they thought, wow, that's really important. That's important for us to know. Um, You know, a lot of the lawmakers in California and around the country are are making cannabis laws um, as well. They should quickly or enacting them, um, but a lot of times they don't really know how to implement them. They say, well, geez, how do we know how what is uh, how much is too too much cannabis in your system to allow an impaired or intoxicated driver? Uh, You know, it's very easy with alcohol. It's not easy with cannabis. You need universities researching these things. Uh, So I think most at the state level, most folks are are wisening up to the fact that just like any other product or medicine that can help people, you got to be able to study it to get the most uh, juice out of the squeeze.
0: Absolutely. Well, Mr. Mr. I I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show today. You know, again, he is the CEO of biopharmaceutical research company, which is based out of Monterey, California, um, schooling us on the fact that we need to, do more. And I think, you know, what, what, what way could people who have listened to this conversation help? I mean, could people reach out to their local, you know, politicians? What, what do they, what can they do to, to, to help? I mean, I know what I'd love to do. And we're going to stay in touch so that, you know, maybe we can get that, uh, you know, visit down to DC once everything says dust settles.
1: A, a couple of Navy guys go and talk some sense into the administration. I, I like it already. Uh, what I would ask people to do is uh, do two things call your congressman and tell them you want uh, them to urge the DEA to license more growers for cultivation. And then you can actually call the Justice Department. uh, The number's on their website. Call the DOJ uh, at the federal level and tell them that you want the DEA uh, to issue more marijuana research licenses. Those are the two asks I'd have of everybody out there if you care about cannabis research.
0: And if they want to hear more or know more about you, where do they go for biopharmaceutical research company? Where do they go to get more information about your company?
1: I ask them to visit uh, our website, which is www.biopharmaresearchco.com, www.biopharmaresearchco.com.
0: Absolutely. Well, I want everybody to do that, reach out. And I'm so happy and so proud of the fact that you are on. Thanks so much, sir. You know, it's going to take, like I think you said, it's going to take a Navy SEAL to beat that front door down to get people to stop and pay attention. So thank you so much for what you're doing, sir.
1: Well, thank you very much, Montel. My pleasure.
0: You know you always got a home here. If you want to come back on and talk about some of the research and some of your breakthroughs, bring it to us. We'd love to hear from you, okay? And I'm going to make sure you you tune in and catch us for the next Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.